I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Well, I mean, we were told to work harder 12 months ago, so we went away and did that, and then we worked too hard, clearly, and so some people tear up a little bit. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock is sitting in the shivering uh, Victorian countryside, uh, probably similar to yourself, Craig, in Canberra. Yeah, it's not much warmer here, Tony, I can assure you of that. The people from Supercars, uh, teams around Australia, are heading back to where they came from after a, a warm weekend in Hidden Valley at Darwin. Um, I imagine in particular the people heading to the Gold Coast would be particularly uh, feeling particularly warm. Uh, another dominant display by DJR Team Penske and, of course, Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard. The people going to Stapleton would be far, far uh, happy than, is it Yatla? Where the, uh, it used to be Banyo years and years ago, but uh, yeah, isn't it uh, Yatla where Triple Eight are from? No, Banyo is, is the place... Uh, for them. Banyo. They okay. are up in Banyo. Well, I'd suggest to you, yeah. if you're going to Stapleton, um, you're, going, you're going to be a lot happier. Indeed. Um, it's an extraordinary thing. I don't think we have seen such dominance ever. I mean, the records are easily uh, checked, of course, but um, Scotty uh, winning um, at least 12, if, if not more, but uh, the team have won 14 of 16 races this year, and uh, uh, even Jamie Wincup is uh, coming out saying no, he's never seen anything like this because even when he was at his peak, they certainly hadn't dominated a season to the same degree as uh, DJR Tim Penske are. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's not just running a Mustang. If you're not wearing Scott McLaughlin's race suit, you're not going to do anything. I don't know, just wearing the race suit is what's doing it for him, though. But at the Triple Crown, first ever time <laughs> that he it has been won and... And Scott took it in his stride. Of course, uh, a sad weekend in some ways for the team because Richard Harris, uh, Harris. unfortunately had uh, lost a family member and Scott dedicated the Saturday race to him as he was flying back to England to be with the family. So uh, whilst they were celebrating a fantastic weekend, their thoughts were, of course, with Richard and uh, the rest of the team all uh, took time to uh, acknowledge uh, Richard's loss. Quite, quite an extraordinary thing where uh, Scotty took two poles and two wins, and Fabian uh, came, had, uh, I think it was a fourth and a second or something like that. But uh, Scotty just uh, dominating. Um, no more talk about changes to the Mustang, but there have been uh, some changes made to the ZB. Uh, an interesting development over the weekend. Uh, for the teams uh, having to make changes since uh, they ran at Winton. Yeah, Tom Howard breaking the story on Friday that there'd been some changes to the ZB and, well, they had a team owner's press conference on that Friday afternoon and here's what Roland Dane, how he explained what had been done. There's a, uh, a small change to the what's called the extension on the back of the front splitter to make it so that it's actually um, uniform with the, with the other two cars in terms of its relationship with the ground. So it's a very small tweak, 
Um, it's, quite it's quite difficult to see whether it's, it's measurable, but it's, it's basically bringing all the cars into, into line in terms of that angle. They've got different size uh, spitter extensions, which hasn't changed. It's just a, a subtlety of an angle on there, which has been made uniform across the three cars. The only other change is um, with that is the rear wing has had a reduction of one one degree on it from eighteen and a half, sorry nineteen and a half maximum to eighteen and a half. Well, obviously, you know, I sit on the commission, and Ryan Story is also there, so you know, we're involved in the decision making process, and and it, with the evidence that was put in front of us, you know, we we agreed to the change. It's interesting that the changes had been made, and also that there was a feeling that there was a cloak or a veil of secrecy uh, over the entire changes and the changes being allowed to happen. Now, of course, they were ratified by the Commission, so it wasn't as if no-one knew they were happening. It was just that they weren't communicated, and that's something uh, we've been trying to get to the bottom of was when they were communicated because whilst one of the changes, lowering the rear wing, wouldn't take a lot of time to uh, make those adjustments, I would suggest to you that changing the splitter, as Roland had mentioned, would require a bit of finesse and uh, a bit of work in the workshop that um, needed to be done well ahead of the cars being transported up north. Interesting, Tony, that one of the topics of conversation uh, that I was having with uh, a number of people, and we'll hear some more of it in the interview with Kim Jones, and that is uh, there's a little bit of a, a disdain in the supercar ranks with Phillip Island. Now, Tom Howard has put out a story this week that both Phillip Island and Winton could be in the barrel to be uh, on the cutting room floor when the new schedule is uh, announced in, uh, well, they're saying, as soon as Townsville. So that would be very early by supercar standards. Yes, indeed. I actually spoke to Dave Bennett, who is the uh, operations manager out at Phillip Island. I'm waiting for him to come back to me. Um, it's certainly an uh, interesting thought. We haven't seen a crowd at Phillip Island other than for a motorbike race for a long time. So uh, that will uh, certainly be a story that's developing over the next few months as to whether it features on the 2020 calendar. Mm. So watch this space. One team that uh, more than likely would rather forget about their weekend in the north was uh, the BJR team. Um, they had a couple of atrocious um, shunts uh, even before the racing started, with um, happening in qualifying, the uh, Macaulay Jones and the Nick Perkett cars having very big damage. Um, fortunately, they got back out on track, but then there was more damage coming. Uh, it, interesting to reflect that uh, this week we've got a terrific interview with Kim Jones. Uh, it was pre-Hidden uh, Valley when he was reflecting on a weekend that uh, Brad wasn't present, which is a very rare occasion for the BJR team not to have their namesake uh, nearby. But um, it, uh, it's an interesting interview and uh, hope we hope you'll enjoy it. So here is Kim Jones enlightening us on his life. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. 
for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitler and Craig Vell with Kim Jones. We're at Winton. It's a race two uh, for the weekend. Uh, there's one thing missing from this weekend, which is an unusual one for a team called BJR. That's Jones Racing. Um, and your brother is somewhere else. Missing in action. Missing in action. Yeah. Not yeah. really being missed, though. No. no, I think he's growing up and realising that there's other things to life other than motorsport. It's a little bit like when he used to race, because we get a break. <laughs> what, when he was in the car driving? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and everybody's making a big fuss about me being here and sort of taking the reins so to speak which isn't in reality I'm just the caretaker I'm not having a lot of input into different things but I am here I am doing the job while he's off having a holiday Um, Monday when the average finish results is better than any of the races he's been at this year well that that's that's my fault but if it's not if it's the other way around and it's worse it's because he left the ship so then it'll be his fault. So if, we have, if we're successful, it's my fault. If we're not, it's his fault. Um, and, and look, this is a very, very tense industry. It's a big business. People look at us and say, oh, it's a sport, you go motor racing. It's not really. The business side of our world and, and making the commercial partners work is really, really important. You know, this weekend we're running six cars in total. I think we've got 74 people here this weekend. It's a huge logistic thing. And, and really, when you have a look at it and you break it down, our business, the biggest cost in our business, staff. Second biggest cost, logistics. The motor racing is further down the road. You know, like it's not that compared to other things, is not that big a cost. And it's stressful. It's hard to do. And it's not getting any easier, and we're not getting any younger. You've always been fierce competitors, the Jones family. Um, one of the things that stands out about the fact is that you are all serious racers. Far more, while there might be 24, 25 cars competing here, and you know a dozen or so race teams in supercars, there's only three or four who I really consider the absolute racers, and I put yourselves in that category. Um, I, I've seen it firsthand in NASCAR days and Oscar days, and uh, and obviously you have some treasured moments in your motor racing history. You were telling us before, please relate that tale of your time when the Audis were your primary racing uh, business. Well, before we go there, I think your, your, your comment about we're real racers... I think we missed out on the give up gene in, in the DNA. Um, and, and, and that's been prevalent right through our career. Very rarely do we get to an opportunity where we can't repair a car or we can't make a call on the run or any of those sorts of things. You're right, the NASCAR, Oscar days taught us a lot about strategy, about... Uh, not, yes, well. yes. And, and, but we had open practice at that point we could do lots of different things 
Uh, getting back to the Audi story, um, we went and raced in Macau. Uh, Frank Bieler was there from Germany with his engineer. Uh, we were representing um, the German factory. Snitzer BMW were there. Um, and and it's, it's a little thing, but it's my thing. Um, Charlie Lamb, we were waiting to go into a, um, <laughs> into a stewards meeting um, about some things that the drivers had done on the circuit, Bradley and Frank. Uh, I think the BMWs brake too early or did something and they ran into them. Um, and we're st- down in there waiting and Charlie Lamb looked at me and he grabbed my hand and he said, look, you guys, he said, I've raced all around the world and you guys have put up one hell of a show this weekend um, in his broken German. Um, and, and to me, that was, a, that was a real feather in my cap. Um, it still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Um, and really... We hadn't had much to do with Snitzer before that, um, but that weekend we did a really good job, I consider, and to have somebody of that ilk say that, uh, it, I, I see it as a feather in my cap. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things that makes your team stand out is it's an incidental thing in the season. It's almost done as a uh, um, Bathurst Friday night thing is the pit stop competition. Now, you know, your two boys are sitting at the top of the tree in that particular uh, event, aren't you, at the moment? Um, it's, it's a summary, really, of how well you're going because it's, it's just working out how to do it and how to do it better than anybody else and quicker. I mean, Wally's one of the people involved in it still? Uh, yeah, Wally's... Well, no, not really. Not really. Anymore. Not this year, yeah. But he has been... Well, Wally's finally looked in the mirror and realised that <laughs> it's time to pull back. Yeah. Um, after many years. Um, well, obviously, so, some young guys there who are doing the job, yeah. though. Yeah, look, you know, when you, when you have a look at our year, as in BJR, uh, I'm quite surprised. Penske is leading the team's championship. Triple Eight second. Little old BJR's third. Yeah. In front of some really tough... Well-funded. Com- well, it's, it's not about funding. You look at the drivers' championship, we're eighth and ninth. Yeah. We've been in the top ten all year. We're consistent. You look at the pit stop competition, we're first and second. We put a lot of focus on that. You know, when you look at qualifying, there's one one-thousandths or three one-thousandths or five one-thousandths of seconds between the cars. You can make or lose seconds in a pit stop. So we figure that if we do that, as we did yesterday with Nick, um, you can actually move forward. And so that's, that's an important area that cost doesn't really come into it. It's about hard work. We have an old um, car at work, which we've sort of converted to meet. When we started, it was just had air jacks in it, and it had the standard suspension and all that sort of stuff. But as it got tighter and tighter with pit stops, it's now like a full-on race car, so that when it jumps up off the ground, it's the same speed as a race car comes up. When it, the suspension droops, it's the same as what the race car... So, and they practice two or three times a day. Um, we've had people from the Institute of Sport look at the biomechanics of how it all works and, and what happens. Um, and and, and we, the guys see that as an area that they can excel without us spending a fortune. That's something that came from your days in Oscar and NASCAR, though. I mean, because... I mean, when you came to supercars, um, the, there were things that you, you guys were doing that were different to other people. 
you know, from that discipline for pit stops. You mean going down the field instead of being at the front? Yeah. Um, look, when we when the, the Oscar and NASCAR days were really good um, because I could see the whole circuit, so I didn't have to rely on Bradley telling me what the car was doing, and I could just make changes. The, no, that's that's not fair. What what really the Oscar thing started as that we worked very hard. It was open testing, so we were there every second. We, you know, I used to sleep on a camp stretcher in the garage, and we used to test all the time. So we knew the cars inside out. We knew what we needed to do to make it work. Then we went to NASCAR. We went over. We 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 befriended. Hendrix and, and and that and we were the first ones to buy a Hendrix car and take it out of the because he used to keep them all he would never let them out um, we understood that car we were successful with that then we stepped up to the Audi program um, we had a very good partner in in the Germans and we had very good equipment can we just interrupt there briefly because it's a question I've wanted to ask you for a long time is how did you get to that Audi deal what was the key point and who were the connections there? Um, so that last year that we ran the Oscar, it was basically a white car yep. because we we didn't have any money. That that was a downturn. Yeah, it was mowing service on at one stage? No, no, no. We used to have Atlantis, which was a, a personal partner that, that, that we had at the time. Um, but it was really, we weren't making money out of it, and we needed to, at that stage, start making money so we could go forward. Um, and so we had a look around, and Super Touring, there was a bit of talk about Super Touring. So we worked very hard to work out who the manufacturers were and where we needed to go, and we went and had a meeting with Peter Rufley at Inkscape. Um, there was another group in there at the time, and I think our prop was somewhere like half what theirs was, but we figured we could do it for what we'd proposed, um, and they took up our option, and they didn't take up the other option, which um, the other group still has inks about about it. Uh, but that, that's that's the way it goes, and and we we made a. We did the very best we could do with everything, and, and keep in mind from where we'd come from, that was a that was a huge step forward and a, a world stage, and it worked very very well. Um, it consumed us, and we were very successful at it. And then we got to the end of the super touring days, and it was starting to wane a little. And we thought, well, what are we going to do now? Ah, we'll we'll go and race. Uh, V8 supercars and we'll win because we've got one in everything else we've done uh, it wasn't so easy and it took us a while to pick how it how it all worked but it's um, you know it, it's part of the life cycle and we're working towards the next stage how, how many people on staff now at uh, up at Albury uh, full time staff yeah uh, it'll be getting close to 50 uh, and and we you know keep in mind we're one of five teams that can manufacture the the chassis um, where we do ninety percent of the stuff in house uh, we don't do our own engines um, but everything else we basically manufacture and we don't have enough time but we don't just run the three V eight supercars we run a wild card most races when that's available 
we run a car in the Dunlop series and we run two cars in the Shannon series. So it's pretty full on. One of the great moments I had was, was Andrew when he built his stealth. I happened to be calling through and no, 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 look, it, it's not because it, it, it summarises A, um, uh, you know, the work ethic of somebody there um, and the pride that he had in showing me his new race car. And I still remember one of the great moments walking into a race team and he says, oh, I can show you my new car, and it was fantastic. The next time I went to your workshop, may not have been the next time, but it was one of your fabricators. I can't remember who it was. You guys weren't there. The team was away, and this guy showed me through. It was a car of the future, the first chassis being built. And it was the same sort of thing, the same pride in what he was doing, and it was just wonderful because, you know, it's something that isn't very common nowadays. Uh, yeah, common sense isn't common these days. No. Um, look, we try to you try to surround yourself with like-minded people. Um, we're probably not the best payers in pit lane, um, but we do have a good environment, and we try to look after our staff wherever we can. Um, and everybody has the same common goal to get to that end of piece of string and to win races. Something that we started doing in supercars a long time ago because basically we run three separate teams or three separate branded teams. If one of those teams happens to get on the podium, all three groups go up there. And some people look at us and go, well, what are you doing here? You know, you, your car didn't get on the podium. And more than once, they've turned and go, yes, it is our car because it's not segregated. Everybody works as a group. And that's sort of what we try to foster. And I think it, it, it it's good in the end. It builds a good stamina in the in, in the environment. And and it's it's a very harsh environment, you know. Like it, the guys are at work all the time, or they socialise together because they get days off together. But this racing every couple of weekends, or uh, you know, with no breaks and all that sort of stuff, it's very very difficult. I remember when I started, my first job in motorsport was sort of helping Brian Sheed in, uh, with, uh, and Brian Sampson with the uh, Formula 3 cars. And then I went and worked for Janie. And it was good. It was, you know, you did six or seven race meetings a year and, and it was good. And people used to move around from race team to race team. That very rarely happens now. Though, you know, the longevity is five to six years. And then they go and do something else because they're burnt out. You have been in the position Brad's in now with your son stepping up to the main game. How did you manage the, the emotions and the fact that you've got a son racing your car? And have you been able to give Brad any advice how to divorce car owner and father? I need to think about that for a minute. Um, Bradley would have to be one of the worst minibike parents I've ever met. <laughs> There's a whole rule book reading in karting because of him, I know that. Yeah. Um, look, I, 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 um, when Andrew was going through all that, I was very mindful of being a minibike parent. Um, and, and, you know, Andrew had to work very, very hard for everything that he got. Um, and, you know, times change and things are different and... and we're going through a different scenario now, and you know, like I'm, I'm at the end of the tether. I'm, I, I'm sort, of, I'm 
semi-retired. If I want to go and do something, I go and do it, and and um, and that's the way it is. I'm not saying that I'm any less focused, but but I need to do that. I, we've had a lot of my wife and I have had a lot of uh, friends around us pass, and so you need to make hay while the sun shines, and and you need to enjoy those things while you can, and and that's at the stage of life that I'm at. I'm 63. I'm not getting any younger. Um, I have to keep going to the doctor and getting maintenance done and, and all those sorts of things. It's not like a car where you can just bolt on a new control arm or bits and pieces, change the engine, new oil pump, none of that shit. So um, you, you need to do what you need to do. And, and that's where, where, where both Fran and I are at right now is that we're living life as we want to live life. Would you say you made mistakes when Andrew was racing with you? Um, Andrew's quite different you know they're two different people Macaulay and Andrew and and, you know the fact that Andrew didn't want to get pegged with the Stephen Johnson scenario where he only drove for the team and he chose to go and drive with Gary and that was that was Andrew's choice, um, and so he he's doing things differently. Um, did I make mistakes with Andrew? Yeah, probably. He's my kid. Everyone makes mistakes with your kid. Um, did he did he get to the end of the piece of string the way he wanted to? Probably not. But it's so so difficult. You know, like, I look up and down pit lane. James Courtney, Formula One Jaguar, world karting champion. You know, like, and what's he doing? Driving a V8 supercar. So, how do you see that? Do you just pay the cards as they're dealt to you? Or do you actually go and manipulate the deck? It, 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 it's, quite a, it's quite a difficult thing, and you, and you can't until you get to a point in life where you have grandkids where you can look back and go okay these are the things it's a difficult thing and you know it's usually it's usually where something there's a major point in your life that something happens and 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 so you take that and then go right or go left or go straight ahead depending on 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 what you dealt I know that's a bit cryptic, but but it but it's a difficult thing, you know. The biggest thing that my wife and I have ever had happen in our life is we lost one of our children, and that's the the rest of it's easy. That's the hard thing to deal with because none of us are programmed to have the loss of a child. You, what happens is you grow up, your parents die, you have children, you die but it doesn't happen that's that's my biggest or Fran and my biggest tick in our life is that we've lost a child and that's that's a hard thing to deal with so everything else is below that you mentioned earlier about the team running wild cards when they're available and really you've been the only team that has really taken that opportunity why is that that you have been able to successfully put in wild cards at every round that they've been open to Financial gain? No, not really. Uh, look, we, you, because of the way 
the structure is, and, and the financial gain was just a pun. Um, we get so little track time. If when I give a talk, I use a scenario of an Olympic hundred meter swimmer. So you've done all your training, you've done all your tests, and you've got to the Olympics. But in the year of the Olympics, you're only allowed in the pool twice. How good is a guy going to go? And, and that's what we're dealing with. You're only allowed to go testing twice. So any time you can run another car and have it cost neutral and gain information, it's a benefit. And we're always looking for that benefit. After the break, we'll be having more from Kim Jones. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. It's hard enough keeping three cars in the main game cost neutral, though. And that's one of the things you've been charged with over many years in BJR. How, how do you keep in this climate, you know, seriously, it's got to be a profitable game because no one can uh, go motor racing and lose money. Um, yeah, they say, how do you become a millionaire in motorsport? You start with 10 and very quickly you've only got a million left. I don't want to give away my secrets. I'll have all those other flea bags out there chasing it. Um, it, it look, it's about looking, sitting back and looking at the business and working out what you have to offer that's different to your competitors. And I think if you walk up and down pit lane, a lot of the teams will say that their core business is motorsport and our core business is servicing corporate partnerships. And I think that's, that's what we sort of hang our hat on, um, building relationships. My dad told me a long time ago, friends come and go, enemies accumulate, make everybody your friend. And, and it's working. You know, I'm, I'm in an age group now where I have a lot of relationships over the years that still bear fruit. Um, you know, you have a look at uh, BOC was the longest running single naming rights sponsor in our category. Um, and and that's, that's, that's a pretty good deal, I think. And we, that was through lean times and good times. And the reason that the performance didn't really matter was because we were servicing the corporate partnership with things that helped their business. Supercars, as an entity, has changed a lot since then. And we, we were off air talking about benevolent dictators in in motorsport and supercars doesn't seem to have that anymore uh they're our partner and we have to deal with how it works but it's a it's a big change and motorsport in the australian landscape is a big change there isn't a motoring culture in australia like there was when when you were when you were racing and even i don't think we've had a motor racing culture since the 90s and supercars has managed to 
really leverage those first few years of the 2000s on a culture that was declining at a rapid rate of knots. Yeah, but you've got to look at what we've got. And what we've got is something that basically starts in February and finishes in December. We have 2 million people attend the events. And when I go and sell, I say to a marketing person, OK, what strategy you got that gets 2 million people on the ground? And they look at you and go, what? And you go, well, we have 2 million people come to the events. And they go, oh, well, we have Facebook and we have TV ads and we have all these other... No, no. We have 2 million people come to the events. So let's try and turn a percentage of those 2 million people into your customer. And that's a big thing. So as a group and as what we do, I think there's a lot of potential to continue on the way it's going. As a motorsport culture, I think what a lot of us need to do is change our thought process. You know, I I still remember the Formula 5000s and I was working on the on the Atlantic cars when it was the Australian Grand Prix at Calder and all those times, Nicky Larda and all that stuff, you, you know, um, Alan Jones and uh, it, you just, it's where your childhood thought process is and what you see as a good thing. You know, I love racing my 1980 March at historic meetings because I have time to sit and talk to people and to do things you know, I, you're interviewing me now. I know that we're on track and my mind's, I'm thinking about what's going on out there as well as trying to answer your questions. It, it's, it's different. You know, my grandson, um, he loves Vettel. So he races in the Billy Cart Championships, Australian Billy Cart Championships, and he has his helmet done, Australian version of Vettel's helmet. Um, I don't get that because I don't even like watching Formula 1 anymore because it's not my, you know, it used to be a driver's thing and the driver's thing is is a component but not quite what it used to be. So is that charter, you know, like we still have people, people are employed, the industry continues. It's not the way it was but when the cars go to Bathurst now they don't drive them from Melbourne to Bathurst to run them in. Um, they don't, you know, it's not, it's not like they cruise until the last 40 laps of the race because the cars won't do it. it everything evolves. You know, the bloody phones and the IT and all that sort of stuff. You know, I laughed when we got here because there's, this weekend uh, Telstra haven't put up another tower, so there's very little IT. And I said, that's because I'm in charge. Because I'm old school, CD pants stuff. You don't need to look at a computer to work out what's going on. You look out the front. A couple of team owners have had to confiscate phones off their drivers because of their behaviour. Have you ever had to do that? No, no, not really. Have you felt like doing it? Uh, look, it's it's a different world. It's a different world. It, it you know, it, it's. I've grown up with you know party lines and. My grandma used to have a phone, you'd twirl it, you'd pick it up and you had to be careful what you said because the, the exchange lady was listening and, and all those sorts of things. And now we have these devices that, you, you know, before Christmas, Fran was looking at buying a new car and she was Googling cars and all of a sudden she started getting these ads on her Facebook page, which had nothing to do with it, of the cars that she'd been looking at. It, it, it's a different world. It's, it, you can't... The phone thing and... You can't, you know, it's good this weekend because it's nice and quiet. We don't get too many calls. Bradley can't ring in. 
<laughs> I had a friend who, uh, in the States, he was speaking to his wife saying, I'll be home after I pick up a bottle of Argon. Next time he went on Facebook, there was like 15 ads for Argon. He said, it wasn't on the Facebook, that was on a phone, phone conversation. conversation. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, look, it's, it's terrible. Whenever I have an IT problem, the guys go, you know that IT problems are 99% human input. So, uh, obviously, I, I don't know what I'm doing. They call them an ID, uh, ID10T problem. Yeah. When you write that down, you'll understand what it spells out. Finally, no, yeah, I didn't and, know that. And, and illiterate. I, I went to park over here. There was a whole heap of parks just near the gate, and I thought, oh, that's good. I don't have to walk too far. So I pulled in and went to get out of the car, and the guy said, that says, that says police on the wall there. That means that the policeman only had to park. They said, oh, sorry, mate, I'm illiterate. I'll move my car. You told us a story before, one that I hope you can repeat. A fiction and, or non-fiction? Well, I don't know. We never know with you, Kim. But seriously, your first memory in motorsport, and it was a fantastic memory. Um, yeah, look, Jack Brabham came to drive um, his Cooper at the Hume Weir. And I'm not sure whether it's 60, 61 or 62, but around about that, I was only very, very young. And uh, I, I, can't, I can remember that we went to the Albury Airport because Jack flew his, um, his Cessna in and landed, got in the car. We drove out to the Hume Weir. We pulled up at where his, car, his race car was, and it was a sort of a low trailer and it had a canvas top on it that was tied down with rope. And uh, as we got there, the mechanic was rolling the tarp back and they pushed the Cooper out. And I was only a little kid and I'm looking out the window and uh, this big roll and it was probably, I don't know, a foot and a half round in diameter. Um, and the mechanic stood up one end of the trailer and rolled this and all these shiny tools were there. And I thought, wow, how good is this? And this is, a, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Um, it probably took me 26 or 27 years to to get to the point where that's all I was doing full time um, I did have a stand in between I had lots of different things I used to build wood, wooden billy carts and, and race motorbikes and uh, then Formula Ford and um, then had a family so we, the Formula Ford thing stopped but then we started doing our production car thing and ever since then this is what we've done and you found out the fallacy of having a toolbox in a roll too but I'm sure you love doing it with your march uh, no, no, I don't have a toolbox in, the, in, in, in a roll, but I do have... It's quite funny, really. I, I still have some spanners. I started my apprenticeship when I left school, and I still have some... You used to get a, an allowance, and you bought a toolkit with it, and I still have spanners from that toolkit. But all my tools are in pristine condition, and I have lots of different odd things that, that not many people have so the guys at work will say hey have you got one of these and I'm like yeah I'll bring it in after lunch so I go home and I get it and I take it in and they pick it up and they look at it and they go wow this is brand new and I'm like no I look after it I don't skid it on the concrete I don't drop it when I finish with it I'll wipe it before I put it back in my toolbox because it's my tool so you know it's what I what I work with and and I, I love that and I have more stuff than anything my daughter in law says that if ever they need anything, they come to our house and borrow it from me. Um, speaking of tools, um, interesting that this year has Are been... You referring to me as a tool? No, no, no. <laughs> the, the tools you have to work with this year. Two of the new ones were, this is a two-day race meet, we haven't seen them for quite some time. 
and a night race meet in Perth. Um, can you give us some idea on maybe some other ideas that could be instigated in supercars to keep the series bubbling, to keep it energised? Um, look, we have very, very strong formats. We have a, a, a very good following. My theory is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, the race in Perth, it had some good points and some bad points. Uh, from, my, from my point of view, it was different. Um, I'm not sure what the crowd numbers were. Didn't look that startling to me. Hold on, Supercars officially said crowd was up and TV audience was up. Okay, so if that's the case, that's a, that's a great thing. But from me, from a team's point of view, from a commercial, you could not read a sign on the car. There was only two spots where the cars were lit. So that, that, that needs addressing. Not saying that it shouldn't happen. This weekend, two-day race meeting, fine. We had to park up on Thursday. So, yes, it is a two-day race meeting. We have got a whole heap of staff, a whole heap of accommodation, because nobody will give you two days accommodation, or one night or two nights accommodation. It's always a minimum of four. So they need to go and talk to the hoteliers and do a deal for the start for the teams. And we've got two non-productive days of staff away from the shop. You know, we spend so much time away from the shop anyway, it's crazy. So, is it good? It's very difficult. Um, you know, we're trying to service all our corporate partners and do pit tours and all those sorts of things in with a day less. So, everything's very tight. It's hard. It's not ideal, but but is there things that we can do going forward? I think if they have us, if if we have ties with more deck over the period of the race so that that opens up different pit strategies. I think that would help. Um, I don't understand some of the penalties that are dealt. Um, And that's badly communicated too, isn't it? Understanding the racing to the consumer is a difficult thing. I've pushed and pushed and pushed for a tower. Oh, no, don't, no. There is a tower ban on our show for the next month and a half because but, he goes but, on about the tower every friggin' but, show. Well, there needs to be there needs to be a way to tell our customer what is going on, and and and, and we communicate that very badly. We communicate rule changes badly. What happened yesterday with McLaughlin? Yes, it was told in the driver's briefing. The intent, I believe, and it's just Kim Jones's opinion, not Brad Jones Racing, not anybody else. My personal opinion is what that was about was when somebody fires off the sweeper, as we've seen in the past, goes straight off, goes down through the ditch, rips the front off the car, can't turn it. Yes, you can drive across and come on before flag point nine. That's what it's about. Not when you slide to the outside of the track on the first lap and instead of continuing around like Fabian did, drive straight across. I don't think that was the intent. But trying to communicate that to our fan base is a very, very difficult thing. Then giving Fabian 
15 second penalty when there's lots of other opportunities where they go it's a racing incident it's the first lap did Scotty Scotty said in his vein he didn't know where Fabian was so how much did he contribute to that situation and I'm not kicking being kicking the shit out of shell I'm saying that that's an example um, so how do we do that better? Maybe that's something that needs addressing. But as formats and race meetings and all those sorts of things, you know, there's some places that maybe we shouldn't be going. Um, there's other places that, you know, I drove out last night, it took me three quarters of an hour to get from the pits to the freeway because of the way the traffic management. If I was a customer coming here, I would be pissed off. And you were leaving late too, probably. No. Oh, you left on the race end? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm semi-retired. <laughs> I left when the race ended. Um, so, but, but those sorts of things need addressing. We need to look after our customer much better and communicate to them. One of the things which you would have done is that when you go to Europe in particular, and less so in America, that we do treat people better here. I mean, the food, the facilities, toilets and things like that are better here than, say, in European racetracks. I mean, it astounded me being at Le Mans and standing in a queue of 40 people to go and have a piss, you know, just atrocious sort of things. Oh, you didn't like squatting over the hole? No, I didn't, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, going to be a good story. Yeah. Um, look, yeah, I think, we, I think the, the government and everything else dictates what we do, but we, we, we do look after them better. Uh, um, Are you we... suggesting Winton's had its time? No, no, not Winton. Well, what tracks are you suggesting? It's not for me to say. Well, you, no, you... you so Ken... I, if, if, I had, if, if I was in charge and I had yeah. my choice, I wouldn't go to Phillip Island. Mm-hmm. Phillip Island is, is a difficult place to deal with with current management. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't pull a good crowd. Um... I, I just don't think that that is a viable place that we go to run. I, Eastern Creek, which we're not going to, I think that's not a viable place to go to. Um, the rest are sort of okay. Maybe New Zealand. New Zealand is a very difficult thing from team world to deal with. Um, so well, it's completely changed the nature of the calendar. Yes. No sound down before Bathurst because of when New Zealand's on. Yeah, that's right. So is is that does that do the pluses outweigh the minuses? I don't know, but it's not my decision. You need you need to talk to the guy that's on holidays. He's on the board. He's on the commission. Well, thank you so much, Kim Jones. It's been wonderful getting an insight into the world you've been in, the world you still are in. We greatly appreciate your time on Inside Supercars and look forward to uh, more tales in the future. Only just in this world. Craig, it's certainly been an interesting weekend and one that uh, a lot of people will be reflecting on, um, that uh, they're having to lift their game because uh, there are many people there who are doing a less than satisfactory job. Uh, Interesting to see that the six Mustangs were all in the top ten throughout the weekend. They certainly don't seem to be handicapped by uh, the changes that they've been forced to make. Uh, your thoughts on uh, any other things that were developing? I mean, Rick Kelly uh, 
certainly was somewhere on uh, qualifying, but then just dropped away after that. Mm. Well, we haven't talked about Triple Eight's crack chassis, which is a very interesting problem, one, to have, and two, to be able to find. And, of course, then you had Shane Van Gisbergen, who had a line locker problem. So, again, Triple Eight having these very, very unusual mechanical issues and uh, probably a heads up that on next week's show a very revealing and interesting chat with uh, David Couchy and uh, I recommend everyone to tune in for that one. One of the things that happened at the weekend was one of the very first team managers, team owners uh, discussions was a Friday press conference and we've got some highlights from that press conference coming up after the break. A particular one would be uh, with Tim Edwards and Roland Dane discussing the aero testing in supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V-Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel, Tim Edwards and Roland Dane discussing the aero testing in supercars. In a perfect world where we had wind tunnel facilities in this country which are available to us, we would undoubtedly do that, but we don't have them. There are, there are no suitable wind tunnel facilities in Australia. So that means going overseas. There's a big, big cost associated with that. Now the fact is, for many, many years, if you roll back to Project Blueprint 2003, through to the end of last year, we've had parity that was close enough to do the job. Now we've made one slip up. So I would say to you, bear with us, we'll do a better job at the end of this year as a category in putting it right using an improved version of the testing tools that we've got here in Australia. But we have had a long period of parity that might not have been perfect, but it worked very, very well. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and incur huge costs at a time when the sport can ill afford it, um, chasing something which we're not in a position financially to uh, to cope with at the moment. And it is also at least slightly naive that people think runway testing is actually not the final tool. I mean, the reality is CFD is a great tool, wind tunnels are a great tool, and actually real-life track testing is a great tool as well. Formula One teams do it. You know, anyone who watched the Canadian Grand Prix would have seen cars running around in Friday practice with aero tools hanging off the car because ultimately testing cars in real life is the ultimate tool. Now, wind tunnels are great and they can help you, you know, fine-tune things, but real-life testing is is the ultimate you know even my time in formula one you know we would design it in cfd we'd run it in the wind tunnel and then we would go to a runway and run the formula one car down or down a runway as the final sign off so it is actually quite naive that some people just think wind tunnels are the holy grail 
Exactly. Our final thoughts this week, Craig. Um, mine would be around that uh, yet again we've got one of those uh, episodes happening which we've seen before. We saw it back in the uh, first off before it was called Supercars when Glenn Seaton became the dominant force. And then it moved to uh, Dick Johnson briefly and then to HRT and then to Triple Eight. And, you know, it's uh, there's this dominance where one team or one driver, they get in this position. And Scotty McLaughlin and DJ Team Penske are certainly ruling the roost. And uh, while, uh, as Jamie, in fact, himself said, it's not good for the sport, but it's inevitable when people do things correctly that they're going to get rewarded for it. Your thought? Yeah, I agree with you there. And it's just a testimony that uh, at the moment, the team that's doing the best in all aspects of the sport are, uh, are right there at the front leading the championship, putting everyone to shame. What has fascinated me is that Erebus, their pit stop work and their other other one percenters, if you like, have been going very, very well. So what they're lacking in car speed, they have been doing those other things right. And David Reynolds was the only driver outside of Scott McLaughlin who had two podiums last weekend. And I think that's testimony to things going right. Also to the fact that David loves that track. Um, he uh, has once referred it to me as a simple track because there's only six corners, even though they've got uh, 14 or 16 turns listed on the uh, track map. Yes, indeed. The other part of that, of course, is that Anton's doing a superb job. Not still getting his racing right, but certainly qualifying well. Um, the other team that really stood up at last weekend was the uh, Tickford Racing because they had all four of their cars qualifying both days in the top ten. And, you know, on, certainly on the Sunday, they uh, all their cars finished uh, in, inside the top ten as well with all four of their cars now in the top ten in the championship points. So... They've consistently now been edging their way forward, and uh, it's terrific to see that it it goes beyond just getting the Mustang. I think that there's been some fundamental changes made at Tickford, and they're showing up well. Um, A number of their drivers, including Lee Holdsworth, doing better, Cam Waters, Will Davison, and, of course, Chas Mostert, who got that uh, second place on the Saturday. Anyway, that's it for another week of Inside Supercars, so... And it's good night from me. And good night from him. Good night. Okay. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.